Hey guys, Jeff Kanata here. You're about to hear uh, what I think is a fantastic episode of DLC. Unfortunately, we had some odd audio issues, and I've just spent the last several hours trying to make the show as listenable as I can. I did not want to throw it away because we have an awesome guest in Mel Kirk, and I think some really great discussions. But you will hear some rough bits. Uh, there's some hissing that I, I just don't understand where it came from. It's mostly when Christian talks, and I promise I didn't sabotage his mic. Uh, hopefully you can endure it and still enjoy this episode, and rest assured we will endeavor to improve this going forward. I apologize for the poor audio quality, but I think the show is mostly listenable and has some great content. crashes in, you know it's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you were one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Remember, it's not how far, it's not how fast, it's how frequent. Be consistent, get out there, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Blue Apron and Eero. They bring the show to you, DLC of course the show, all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops and consoles and also games that involve dice, luck. And cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co host, slash nemesis, the guy who's now a father of a five year old. What? Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, listeners. Real quick up top. It's kind of an annoying link, but I want to plug it at the very beginning. I'm uh, trying to see if I can raise some money for St. Jude's and their, you know, helping kids beat cancer research that they do. And so I've set up a play live link. The easiest way to find it is go to Christian at And I have a link to it right at the top of my site. And what I'm doing for this November slash Movember, I am growing out my stash. It's going to grow all month. And anyone that donates to that St. Jude link i will match your donation and donate to the movember foundation which is men's health issues and i will also match it and donate to the one american appeal which is hurricane relief so if you're looking for an end of the year charitable deduction that's a way to get your own tax write-off and then help out a couple of other charities as well again you can find the link at christianspicer.com not only are you matching people's donations you're also matching their stashes (laughs) you're going stash for stash with every stash that's uh that's Movembering. I, I, mean, I don't know. I've seen some guys on TV with some pretty dope stash. I also live in L.A., so I've seen some good stashes, but I will do my best. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pretty laudable goal, man. And uh, I hope people help you out. I plan to as well. Uh, man, big week. Uh, we had uh, BlizzCon. We got lots of stuff to talk about. And the good news is we have an awesome guest to do it. You know that DLC is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for 
divinely lucid consciousness. Because from Zen Studios, the makers of Zen Pinball, Pinball FX, Castle Storm, and others, VP of Publishing, Mel Kirk is joining us. Thanks for being here, Mel. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to a great time here. So I should be uh, very honest right up front here about how this all came together because Christian is a huge fan of pinball effects and all of the great pinball boards that you guys have been putting out uh, on that platform. And he brought it up a few weeks ago, and I made some snide comment. Jeff, always the pessimist on this show. (laughs) I made some snide comment about all the crazy AAA games that have been uh, hitting lately and and Christian Christian bringing up pinball. And he was like, no, 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 pinball is awesome. And we got – a sternly worded letter from, <laughs> from the fine folks at Zen Studios saying, hey, not only is pinball awesome, but we want to be on the show and and talk to you about why they're awesome. So I'm really excited. You hooked me up with some codes. I've been playing Zen Pinball. I'll talk about it a li- little later. But Wait, uh, with all the right. AAA games that have come out, you're going to talk about pinball? I am, yeah. No, <laughs> it turns out, Christian, pinball's awesome. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, Mel, thank you for being here. Uh, I apologize to you uh, officially uh, for any kind of snide <laughs> comment I made about your game. Jeff, it's it's totally cool, man. I'm, I'm, I came on, you know, not to be too angry with you, and I didn't really want to just blow the lid off this thing. But uh, I'll just say, hey, we take it in good stride, and uh, we hear that a, a lot. And it's up to us to uh, to change people's opinions and make them true believers. May I, I love ask it. a question, Mel? And if you can't answer it, fine. I, I think I saw something out there years ago, but honestly, I've forgotten. And the names, why... I own this on, I think, every platform. And please know, listeners, I have paid money for all of these tables, except for when I got to re-download them for free from PS3 to PS4. Uh, but why... They, Christian, I, I think they just announced it for Switch, too, so you're going to have to buy it again. Uh, believe me, <laughs> I'm going to. Uh, why Why different names? Uh, you have three different names? Or is it two or two plus for essentially... It's the same thing, right? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, actually. And it's got to do with a lot of history, and it's got to do with a lot of politics between platform holders. Um, back in the day, we released Pinball FX uh, when Xbox when it was Xbox Live Arcade. This was back in what 2007, um, and uh, Microsoft wanted the game to kind of be exclusive and some special features, and let's call it Pinball FX. So we did that, and then uh, the, a year later, we wanted to come out on PlayStation Network, and they said, "No, you can't have the the same game because it's been out already." So we said, "Fine, we'll call it something different," <laughs> <laughs> and so we called it then Pinball. And uh, from that time forward, yeah, we were supporting, like, two different games, and that was uh, not ideal. <laughs> and then on, on iOS and, ev- like, on everything else, is it Zen? Like, which I always forget. Is, I think it's Zen on iOS, right? Yeah, we, we kept Pinball FX uh, basically, uh, you know, exclusive to Microsoft, and then everywhere else just became Zen Pinball. Okay. And uh, and once these periods ended, and you know we were first party with Microsoft, uh, so technically they were the publisher. And once all that ended, and we set out on our own, we've been trying to consolidate. And now Pinball FX3 is on uh, all console and PC, while Zen Pinball is kind of our free-to-play platform on mobile at this point. But that could change in the future as well. No, <laughs> ah, it just made sense. <laughs> Don't change it again. Okay, cool. And you guys also have other things in the mix too right you're about to make a big announcement is that right yeah uh we're announcing on on monday that when we are actually to this right it has yeah. been announced yeah yes 
Yes. So when you are listening to this, you will you will know um, that Zen Studios is uh, going to begin publishing games from other developers, uh, PC titles to begin with, um, games that players have enjoyed on Steam and want to find uh, and deserve an audience on console. Um, you know, Zen is, I don't know, we're kind of like an indie plus at this point uh, with over 10 years of developing and publishing our own games and we're ready to uh, help other developers and we've signed a few games. The first one is uh, Out of Ammo, which is a PlayStation VR title, highly successful on Steam. Uh, it's from Dean Hall in Rocketworks. Uh, Dean's obviously a well-known guy in games and uh, yeah, it's our first title. So this is a big new step for Zen. That's that's awesome, and, and we're going to definitely talk about Out of Ammo and other stuff that you guys are doing uh, throughout the show and into the VR section and everything. I'm, I'm really excited, but uh, that's a huge step for your studio is, is to publish other people's games. What led to that decision? Well, we were at GDC this last year uh, having dinner with a few other mutual friends and developers, and everyone was talking about how you know they are doing awesome on Steam and they've got a great game and they want to go to console, but is it a right choice for them because it's going to kind of diversify what they're doing and then they get unfocused? It's kind of, uh, we antiquated it to being like you have real estate in California, but you want to buy in France, but where, uh, what town, what are the economics, what are all the different things that drive it, who do you need to know? And, uh, you know, that's a big step for a small team that's trying to just stay very focused on one thing. And here I come with some brilliant ideas like, well, why don't you just let Zen port and publish your game for you? And they just said, that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> and, and literally from that moment on, uh, we started talking and, and that was the very first game we signed. And, uh, you know, the idea is that a, a port takes time and money, usually from a developer's standpoint. You go out, you find a porting house, uh, you pay them to do that for you. You take the game back, and now you need to go get a publishing deal, or you publish it yourself, which takes, you know, quite a few resources. All the while, uh, time is passing by, things can change, uh, all sorts of things. Too many things to talk about can change. And uh, and so it it made sense, you know, and there's a lot of value in offering just this one-stop solution. Hey, the same team that's porting it can be making the marketing assets at the same time, talking with first parties early in advance for marketing and best release window. Um, you don't have to pay money out, so you're not, you know, hurting your cash flow. When we publish the game, uh, it's the same team who's been invested the whole time through. We know everything A to Z. It just made a lot of sense. And, you know, I just happened to have a team internally who was available to take on a project. So we just kind of did it as an experiment for the first first one, and it went fantastic. And so here we are. We're ready to set out and make it public and, and see what happens. Very, very cool. I guess your only requirement is that they change the name of their title on every platform, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, this is part of what we, you know, now we know, I mean, we've had such long-standing relationships now with Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony. Um, you know, th they do want to see certain things coming from uh, from a PC game to console. However, name change is no longer mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. I think that's a smart, smart decision. Uh, well, it's awesome. We're definitely glad to have you and your expertise. In fact, uh, several of the stories we'll be talking about this week, I, I think you're the perfect guest to have on for. So let's dive right in and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. A lot of cool folks there hanging out, talking about stories, talking about the show, talking about video games in general. I highly recommend you join that community of great, great people. Mel, you are our guest, so you do get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? My story of the week um, is, you know, the uh, the Runic shutdown. Um, it's something that, as a as someone who manages a studio and is involved in day to day decisions and feels the weight of having a staff and the craziness of this industry and all the drivers, uh, seeing studios shut down, which you know we had a few this week and obviously a big one last week, it just it hits so close to home. And uh, it's something that, in my mind, that stuck out to me as, as uh, the biggest story of the week. Yeah, I'm definitely glad to get your perspective on this. Uh, to catch people up, in case you haven't heard, um, Perfect World Entertainment, which is a China-based publisher that does a, a lot of games, and particularly MMOs, uh, owned Runic Games, which was a Seattle-based studio. These are the guys behind Torchlight, Torchlight 2, and most recently, Hob, which is a game I shouted from the rooftops about uh, just a couple of weeks ago as being amazing and felt like it was it was coming out in this weird time where it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Um, and, and it turns out it, it sounds like that's, that's the case because it didn't sell very well. In fact, uh, Perfect World Entertainment announced the shutdown of Runic. And uh, in fact, that's not the only... Um, uh, studio they shut down. They also shut down Motiga Games. These are the guys behind Gigantic, which was that big sort of um, MOBA-esque uh, third-person shooter. And this is a huge blow to me, somebody that was a big fan of Runic. Uh, and and I think, as you said, it's um, one of several uh, that we're seeing all before the holidays that are shooting shutting down, which is really sad just for the people that work there. Um the uh, the head of Runic uh, made a statement um, saying that they are they're not completely abandoning all of their games. They'll still be updating some of them. And he said, "You haven't heard the last of us." But uh, it's a it's a sad state of affairs. Mel, I'm sure if you you know you've been around this industry long enough and seen this happen over and over again. How do we as fans? How should we think about this? I mean, are these are these guys all going to be able to find jobs in other places? Are there uh, is there any silver lining to be to be had from this? Yeah, you know, one of the greatest things about the the game industry and especially the development community is, um, you know, we're all super connected, and it doesn't really matter what studio you are at. If if something happens, I think instantly you see this just outpouring, you know, this outreach and this outpouring of support and just automatic links to new job postings and job boards and people saying, hey, we're recruiting, we're hiring. So, you know, I think the silver lining is just that the, the game industry has kind of become used to this happening, unfortunately. It's just the nature of, of our industry. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think everyone reaches out and helps people land on their feet. And, uh, you know, to to you know their message that they posted it sounds like part of the team might be actually staying together maybe they're getting their independence back maybe you know who knows if maybe they're buying something back from off world which would be great but uh i expect to, to see more from these guys and at least to land on their feet yeah yeah that's um uh, marsh leffler is the name of the studio head at runic and his uh, statement was that community and multiplayer services will keep running even after the studio's lights go off 
So that's good news. Like you said, it, it seems to indicate that there's at least some core group of people that will still be working on this stuff. Uh, Christian, what's your uh, what's your take on this? It's it's hard. Um, as someone who uh, spends, I think, like one foot in an industry that has a pretty great union and another foot in an industry that, you know, half-ass tried in the 70s. Um, there's a great book, I'm Dying Up Here, that chronicles it. It's The Showtime show is borrowed that license that name but it's very different the book is actual historical kind of account of stand-up during the 60s and 70s in LA and so like one industry writing and acting that is unionized and fairly successfully so and then stand-up which is you know literally herding cats um, (laughs) and 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 then having worked as an attorney where you know also there's no union in that in any way shape or form and people are cutthroat in terms of hiring and firings it's it's always hard because part of me understands the economics of the real or the reality of the economics of, of making a game and looking at numbers and everything's a spreadsheet at the end of the day and an employee is a number or whatever right and then part of me just thinks in gaming there needs to be better protections for the people making these things like I don't know if that's the liberal side of me not this isn't a political issue just a, 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 I want to see people be happy and not need to relocate every three years or move from yeah. studio to studio or be able to you know plant their roots i moved as a kid you know a little bit and i would like families to be able to this is the elementary school you're going to go to son daughter this is the middle school and i feel like in gaming it's almost this nomadic life that you're expected to have if you want to succeed and that's until you burn out <laughs> and it's just like i laugh only because i don't know how else to react to it it's it's difficult and i think this is just another example of it as much as i love you know consuming these games i wonder if how sustainable the lifestyle is not necessarily the economic business model but the lifestyle that one needs to have to to work so hard and be willing to work anywhere in order to make this hobby that we all love mel let me ask you this question um hob coming out now as a uh, what I think it was only 1999 game um, didn't get a lot of fanfare and press coverage to my mind. At least I was I was looking for it because I was such a fan of that game. Uh, in a crowded, crowded time of year, in a crowded, crowded marketplace already for games, you guys are a, a company that has carved out uh, a place that isn't necessarily competing with the you know with the. Zeldas and Mario's of the world, but as but you know you you've managed to be successful. What is the the market considerations that we should take away from this story? Well, I think you're seeing a fundamental shift in the type of games that people play and what you have to do in order to get attention uh, to those games. You know, Hob, I've been playing it. Uh, it's uh, this single player experience. It's fairly linear. Um, if someone's going to watch that on YouTube. They watch it, they get the experience, they don't need to spend 20 bucks and get it. Uh, whereas, you know, games that obviously bring a, a big crowd in the multiplayer um, style, like Battle Royale game, and where it's fun and anything can happen anytime, it's much, for, much more fun to watch. Those are the kind of games that are, uh, you know, being picked up and played. So I think if you take a project like Hob, um, you know, it was probably spent two or three years in development. And uh, when they started, it looked like it was great, um, everything was lining up, but this is how fast things change. And uh, here at Zen, you know, we like to look in 12 to 16 month windows and we're constantly reevaluating. Um, it almost feels like with Hob, at some point, maybe they should have reevaluated, even though, you know, the game is fantastic. It's amazing. But to the point of it being uh, something that is ready for the market right now, 
it's just not well timed. Um, and so it's got to, you have to constantly reevaluate your strategy. Um, it's painstaking and it's very difficult to, for, I think for people who have a a really strong creative vision to, um, carry it all the way out. Uh, If you put your head down for a second, you know, you, you could be off, um, in in a really bad way. Yeah. And I guess this is, you know, you can make a direct through line between, um, the story we just talked about what last week, the week before of a visceral closing and and this happening. And and both of them have these themes that you, you just brought up of, uh, the types of games that are profitable nowadays, which, which aren't really these linear single player play it from start to finish and move on to the next game type experiences. And I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> For real, I don't know. But also, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have the Uncharted. It looks like God of War. Mario Odyssey, it's a single-player, you-play-it-once game, right? Like, it's not multiplayer. It doesn't have any of that stuff. Zelda is single-player. Um, it's huge, you know, but it's not a multiplayer I guess, game. But, but any of those, when you like Mel was bringing up, when you watch somebody play it on Twitch or YouTube, you're not seeing it in a sort of linear fashion you're seeing oh this guy missed you know 12 secrets or found a couple of secrets or you know i think those games even well, fit more zelda and mario but not uncharted or god of war and god of war obviously isn't out yet yeah. i'm curious what spider-man's going to be also when it's all said and yeah. done um so maybe if it's single player narrative based you need to have stunting in it of some kind where you can have like <laughs> sick gifts and trick videos or something maybe and also, though, I mean, look at the amount of marketing spent on those games. So, you know, they, they get tremendous support and they're marketed to be these big $60 games and um, they will have add-on content and there will be service elements, which once you've built this community around this game, hopefully those people will continue to spend money. When you look at a, a game like Hob, it was just clearly not, uh, where do you go with it? You know, when you're, when you're done, what does add-on content or a service-oriented element look um, you know, a lot of these big studios making these games are obviously riffing off a of mobile. All these trends we're seeing, um, these are clearly mobile. In fact, what we did with FX3 recently was predicated largely on a lot of research uh, that we released from our mobile game. And so I think that these trends are coming to console games and $20 single-player experience just is up against so many other things driving people to play and spend money continuously. Yeah, I, I may, you make great points, man, and that's... I'm so glad to have you uh, with perspective on that. Uh, it's a sad thing, but uh, hopefully uh, the individuals involved will, will all find um, uh, gainful employment moving forward, and we'll get to see games. The, the saddest thing for me as a player is I loved their games. I played Torchlight, Torchlight 2, and Hob, and I loved those games, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sad to see that vision leave the marketplace. So, Christian, what is your story of the week? Well, yeah, we talk about that style of game, and I think our next two stories are going to be about services and add-on products and games that do that very well. Uh, I know what you're going to talk about, Jeff, but I want to talk about PUBG getting an Xbox One release date. It came out during Paris Games Week, uh, but I think after we kind of talked about the you know the trailers and everything that Sony showed. Um, it's coming out on Xbox One December 12th as part of their Xbox One Early Access, um, whatever that's called. And then it also, they didn't give a date, but they said that it is going version 1.0 on PC by the end, late December. And I feel like that news coming out was them saying, hey, you can consider us for game of the year. <laughs> like, we, we know a lot of places don't consider early access games, but trust us when we say we will have a 1.0. And along with 1.0 on PC is going to come the desert map, 
and vaulting, which is, you know, getting over the smallest fence in PUBG is one of the hardest things in the game. So that's one of the things that Just like on. life, man. Right? Just like <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then they, I thought it was interesting, too, what they were talking about, you know, and I guess kind of how um, maybe Zen or Pinball w- was at one point or wherever that, you know, uh, the differences spread and came back together. But PUBG on Xbox One is not going to be PUBG on PC. They're not going to be the same game. They talked about how they want to converge them and have them be the same at some point. But when it releases on Xbox One, it is not the PC game. From what I read, they weren't able to... I didn't see much elaboration as to that. Like, the map's going to be smaller, this, that, or the other. But it's a different version of the game that will kind of have its own iterations and improvements that will then hopefully catch up to the PC version. But I think this is huge for a game that sold almost, if not already, 20 million copies. Uh, They gave it a release date on Xbox One. I was one of the ones that thought it might not come out by the end of this year. And I think this is I think this is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, as a as a big PUBG player yourself, Christian, is, do you think that the Xbox version is going to gain more traction over the PC version? It feels like a very PC centric game right now. Yeah, I'm not sure. I have not played it with the controller. There is controller support on the PC, but I've heard it's not great. People that have played it on the Xbox One version of it said the controller support was felt a little wonky. Like, it's very, you, you kind of learn your PC routine. Like, go into a room, crouch, tab, pick everything up. You know, you're very fast with the mouse, and it depends on how it plays with the controller. So part of me says it won't have that huge of an audience on Xbox One. But if you look like whatever it was the past two or three weeks, the number one game played on Xbox Live is Fortnite Battle Royale. So yep. while that is maybe tuned a little more as a console experience, if you're going to sit here and tell me that that's been the number one game played on the service, and here comes this game that is the most watched game on Twitch, YouTube gaming, and has sold 20 million copies on PC, do I think it'll carve out an audience on Xbox One? I'd be stupid to say no, right? Like, it's going to carve out an audience. People are dying to play this game, and not everybody has a PC that can run it. Yeah, I was going to make that same point. I think you're spot on. Uh, you know, I, I would have been skeptical except for Fortnite. <laughs> Fortnite it really uh, surprised me at how much of a thirst there is for this kind of experience on consoles. And Fortnite I, is I, free, but I, yeah, I think, I think that's the, a big deal. The thirst is there. And it'll be interesting to see if this push, uh, moves the needle on Xboxes as a system. Like if people are going to buy Xboxes because of it. Because I think Microsoft is betting on that a little bit. I think they're thinking this is a system seller for the holidays, uh, which is why they're trying to get it out, you know, right before the last week of yeah, December buying. December 12th is rough. You know they wanted that November 22nd or something. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how many dollars they threw at them and said, get it out before Christmas. Um, Mel, are you, a, are you a PUBG guy? Are you excited about this? I'm not a PUBG guy yet, but I am going to play it on Xbox, so I will be one soon. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, I yeah, I do think that it's going to sell units, um, and I, I think it's going to move Xboxes. It's uh, it's going to be massive. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a huge coup for them to get it exclusive to their system. And I mean, this is a this is a game I think uh, a lot of people want to play. And like Christian said, probably a lot of people that don't have PCs that can that can really stand up to it. And you know, plug and play with consoles, it's a big deal. So I think it's yeah, interesting. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I imagine we're going to talk about some BlizzCon, and here's Blizzard, very successful company, right? Very successful game, very su- successful of its own conference. But I bet if you add up all of the games it sold this year, did PUBG sell more? Like, it's pretty cl- You know what I mean? Like, PUBG, when's PUBG? Oh, con, I don't think right? so. Like, it's coming. I don't think PUBG has sold more than Overwatch, no. 
It sold but, 20 million units. Are you sure? Yeah. Well, no, but I think so. As an attorney, I should always say I'm not sure. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would be interested to see if, if Overwatch or PUBG sold more I'm units. Pull that would be a very, while you I would be shocked if, if a game that's out on every conceivable platform sold fewer units than PUBG on PC. Well, that is but, the problem, is finding Overwatch numbers I think might be difficult. But I'm going to talk about BlizzCon. Right. I don't have anything else to add to the PUBG story, but it just blows my mind. And I want to hear about BlizzCon, but I'm also going to be half Googling yeah, you're correct in that my story of the week is BlizzCon. I was there, as I am every year, because I am a bona fide Blizzard fanboy, and uh, it, it it's a great conference. I mean, there's really nothing else like BlizzCon. It's like part it's part E3 with big game announcements and part PAX with like you know being there for the fans, but it's also its own thing because the it feels like the the developers themselves are more accessible there than most places. And it, it just feels like this real love fest between the fans and the developers. It's great. And um, there were some bona fide big announcements, including StarCraft going free to play, StarCraft 2, the latest version of StarCraft. Now, that game is several years old at this point, so it, it is a pretty savvy way for Blizzard to juice uh, audience for that. But hey, pretty still pretty cool, free to play StarCraft 2. Um, Overwatch, uh, they got a new hero announced for Overwatch, Moira, uh, which looks pretty cool. And the most awesome Overwatch map, most awesome any game map uh, I've ever seen, a Blizzard World, which is sort of like, what if there was a theme park built all around Blizzard games? Just delightful. Uh, a new expansion for Hearthstone that looks really fun. I played, I'll talk about later. A new expansion for World of Warcraft called Battle for Azeroth. And a really surprising announcement that they are supporting classic servers, which will be uh, the original vanilla version of WoW when it was first released back in, what, 2004, I think? And that's big yes. news because they just yeah. killed a fan one, right? Or just, but a right. couple months ago. Yeah, but I think this is classic Blizzard in the sense that they did something that was unpopular and then realized that the fans actually wanted it and then set about to do it themselves rather than allowing people to do it, which I think is the best way to sort of make good on on something that that, that was unpopular. Um, and then, of course, my favorite news, uh, Heroes of the Storm, uh, two new heroes there, and even better than that, performance-based ranked matches. So, so what, yeah, match what does that mean? So the way the matchmaker has worked up to this point in Heroes of the Storm is that you have a secret MMR, matchmaking ranking you don't get to know what it is but it's a number that is your skill ranking according to the system and that number goes up and goes down based purely on wins and losses that you have in ranked play actually in any kind of play so you could be number one on your team i'm going to get terms wrong with like 80 tower takedowns or whatever but if your team loses your rank would go down Yes, that's exactly right, except for all the part about 80 tower takedowns. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, you're right. <laughs> yes, correct. You, if, you, if you are amazing, but your team loses, your rank goes down. It has no effect on how amazing you are. Theoretically, if you're amazing, you help your team win, but it's five players against five players, so you only have so much influence, right? So that's what's frustrating to a lot of people like myself that feel like I should be a higher rank than I am, but <laughs> you know, I think we all feel that way, right? So they are now instituting a new system that will actually take into account your individual performance on your team and, and, and take that into account alongside your wins and losses. So wins and losses still affect your MMR, but 
Also, each individual hero, and there are over 70 of them in the game now, each individual hero has specific things that it does well, and somehow they claim to have created a system that knows every single hero, there's a certain number of things that will go into your personal uh, assessment of how how good or bad you are with that hero, and your MMR will be affected if, even if you're on a losing team, but if you did a thing that that hero does really, really well, like heal a bunch of people if you're the healer, or uh, you know, stun a bunch of people if you have CC on your on your kit. All these really esoteric things that are specific to a hero, they claim will influence your MMR, which I find very exciting. Um, quick update. PUBG went to early access March 2017 and has sold over 18 million. Uh, and Overwatch, since coming out uh, whenever it did in 2016 has sold over 35 million across all platforms. So yes, Overwatch crushing it in terms of raw numbers. But holy crap, PUBG, in like a couple of months on one console or one system. Mind blown. Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody would uh, would not take either of those. <laughs> right, Mel, you you would take that kind of sales, right? Uh, I might I might take that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. Um I have I, I, a question though. One more question, sorry. But um do you think that's? Do you think that is good? You have to assume that it's good tracking or ranking or whatever. Or is this going to create people who are maybe less focused on team playing? Again, not understanding heroes as well as you do, obviously. But does this make for solo runs? People that are just trying to buff their own stats or whatever they need to do to buff their own rank at perhaps the expense of the team. I put that exact question to the developers I had an interview with, and you can hear that interview in full on Newest, Latest, Best, which you can find on iTunes and Google Play Music. It's like My we other... set that up almost, but we didn't. It's I was just almost like we did. a regular question. Uh, yeah, no, I, I had the same question, and I was wondering if that if those data points would actually be front-facing to players, if you'd be able to know, like, okay, well, I'm playing um, Kerrigan, so the, as many times as I can get spikes on my opponent and CC them... That's going to be a positive influence on my ranking, so I'm just going to keep trying to do that over and over again. And they said, first of all, you aren't going to get to know those things. Uh, but even if you did, their pers- their perspective is that those things will contribute to wins anyway. So if you're doing all those good things that they're trying to reinforce, chances are you're actually being a good teammate. So it's kind of hard to just you know, do those things in absence of good play. You kind of have to actually contribute to your team to do those things anyway. And that... Also, wins and losses still are weighted heavily. They're just not the only thing that's weighted. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this will actually end up being a very positive uh, thing in, in this kind of game, and we'll see much more of this uh, across lots of other games. I don't know if there are other games that already do this or not, but I'm glad the game I play is getting it. <laughs> excited. Um, Mel, have you ever been a World of Warcraft guy? Yeah, back in the day, it's been a few years, but you know, 2004 to 2006, I consider to be my World of Warcraft uh, dungeon days, and you know, the like lights out all night long playing uh, WoW and losing all friends that you had and making all sorts of new weird ones that you actually never met, you know. So yeah, those were uh, those were good times. I was really excited to hear that they're bringing back uh, original servers or vanilla servers as we call them. Uh, I'm wondering technically how they're going to do it, but Hey, I'm not. I'm gonna leave that to them, and I'm just gonna be excited to get to check it out. Well, they joked uh, in the uh, in the announcement for this that they had 
auctioned off all of the original shards, the original like um, physical computer components of those old servers. And he, and he said, uh, I think we're going to need those back. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure that's not how they're going to do it. They're going to recreate those servers somehow. But um, it's interesting to me that people want this. You know, I feel like the game has iterated and iterated and improved over time. But it's interesting to me that people like yourself who have great nostalgia for that, you know, those first few years really want to play the game the way it was. Yeah. And I'm not so sure that I'm going to spend a ton of time. It's going to be a cool nostalgic moment. Like let's, you know, get that for, you know, out of the way, but you know, there's so many quality of life improvements now with, um, the, you know, modern day. Wow. And like all the new stuff that they have. So it could feel old quickly, but there's also a lot of people who left uh, World of Warcraft over the years, and this might just be a way to get them back and say, you know what, all right, I need to you know, check out everything else that's happened in the last five years since I've been away. Yeah. Uh, I, lots of BlizzCon stuff. We don't have to get too deep into it. I know it's very uh, specific to one company, but if you want to hear me talk more about it, uh, check out Newest, Latest, Best, where I geeked out and reported live from the show over the weekend. And I'll talk more about what I played uh, in, the, in the playlist later on in the show. Uh, but there are a couple of other news stories before we get too far away that I want to get Mel's input on because I think it's perfect to ask him about. But first, let me thank our sponsor, Blue Apron. Let me tell you about a meal I cooked last night. I also cooked one tonight. I cooked delicious catfish tonight for my wife. It was it was delightful. But last no, night... Oh, yeah, don't I tell cooked... us about tonight's, Jeff. Tell us about... La- don't tease with last night's and then talk about tonight's. Tonight's was good, but last night's <laughs> was like, I'm telling you, it's going to sound like I'm exaggerating or making it up. My wife and I were gobsmacked at this pasta that, that I made last night through Blue Apron. It was legit top five pasta of my lifetime at any restaurant in any place. I mean, we've been to Italy. We've been to uh, France. We've had great meals. This, my wife was like, if we had had this at a five-star restaurant, I would have been blown away by it. It was one of the best pastas I've ever had. And I made it myself thanks to Blue Apron. And it, it was incredible. And the thing, Blue Apron over and over with their pastas specifically, and they do more than pastas, believe me. I had catfish tonight and there's chicken and steak and all kinds, whatever you have, whatever you want. There's awesome stuff. But I'm always so impressed that their pastas, they don't weigh them down with big, heavy sauces. Most of the time, their pastas are so light and so fresh tasting, and they do so much with like lemon and just water. Like you use the water that you boil the pasta in back in the sauce. It's amazing. It feels healthy. It tastes delicious. Blue Apron has changed my life. I've learned more about food and what makes food good. I've learned these skills that have improved my life just in in knowing how to chop things and cook things and and being able to follow recipes better. I feel like a cook, and it's all because of Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They'll send you a box of fresh ingredients and recipes to cook, and you can do it as little as a half an hour. They have quick half-hour recipes and then they have you know longer sort of hour-long recipes that I love digging into and, and really feel more robust. But all of them are super fresh, super amazing. They make your life better. They, uh, you know, I I feel healthier because I know exactly what's going in my food. More variety in what I eat. Before Blue Apron, I would eat the same four things over and over and over again every week because that's all I knew how to make. 
and they were garbage most of the time. Now it's easy, it's flexible, you can customize your recipes each week. They can work around uh, specific dietary restrictions. There's vegetarian meals, there's pescatarian uh, meals. It's great. I love Blue Apron so much. I begged them to sponsor our show because I love them so much. I've recommended them to every person in my sphere. <laughs> Relatives are on Blue Apron now because of it. And you can be too. We're going to hook you up with $30 off your first order with free shipping. All you got to do is go to blueapron.com slash DLC. That's B-L-U-E-A-P-R-O-N dot com slash DLC. That gets you $30 off your first order with free shipping. It's going to be – It's gonna. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. You're going to save money. It's about $10 per person per meal, which is way cheaper than going out. Three meals a week or you can do two meals a week if you prefer. So great. BlueApron.com slash DLC. It's a better way to cook. Okay, before we move on to the playlist, I do I, – I think there's some interesting stuff here and particularly because we have Mel – uh, and and you are now moving into publishing a VR game. I want to bring up this story about uh, CCP, which is the developer of Eve Valkyrie and uh, the Eve Online, the giant Eve Online games, um, moving and restructuring some of its internal studios and moving away from publishing VR games. I'm a big proponent of VR here on the show and everywhere, really. And a lot of people tweeted me, uh, texted me, emailed me. Everybody was like, Jeff, 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 here it is. The death knell of VR. CCP, who is like the poster child for VR with E Valkyrie as one of the, the big launch titles for uh, Oculus and really was one of the launch titles for VR at all. It was actually the first VR game I ever played was what would eventually become E Valkyrie. And uh, they also just recently put out a game called Spark, which was a big uh, VR sports game. Them moving away from it saying that they are going to restructure some of their studios and concentrate on uh, non-VR games, uh, at least in the short term. People saying, is this it? This is it, meaning VR is over, VR is dead. Uh, I don't think so, but I want to hear what you think about this, Mel. No, I don't think VR is dead by any stretch of the imagination. I still think it's extremely early. Um if you're looking to sell millions of units or you need to sell a million units, call it, uh, to be successful, it's probably still not a good move for you. But if you can be successful with, you know, 100,000 or even to 250,000, uh, it's definitely a market that is um, attract. you know, it looks good for that right now. And, uh, you know, it is, it, it's funny because there's like this gold rush. Everyone's rushing to make a VR game and some studios got funding by from Oculus, um, some others, whatnot. And that was a great first move, but that money's kind of gone away. Um, there, there are still a few deals out there to be had to fund your VR title, but now it's just up to developers to take the the risk 100%. And I think a studio like CCP um, might not be willing to to make 100% risk on their own. And so uh, it, it's going to hurt VR, sure. It, we don't like these negative stories, but until we still can find that very killer game or that must own experience, um, I think VR will limp along, but I don't think it's dead. I think it's um, going to just take a little bit longer to establish itself. Um, it's There's going to be kind of 2.0 content, I think, coming, and uh, I hope it's a, a bigger step forward. Um, but, you know, to say it's dead, come on, it's not dead. 
I agree. Christian, what's your take on this? Yeah, I think Mel kind of hit the nail on the head with it's you're not going to move a million units, two million units. And I don't know every publisher or developers what they need, you know, the financials you've heard of, we heard about, you know, Dead Space was it two or three not being successful and all that stuff came out with the studio closure. And it was, I think it sold four million units and that was below expectations. Or the original Tomb Raider, not the original Tomb Raider reboot, the most recent Tomb Raider reboot, uh, you know, that one originally sold below expectations, but it was, you know, top of NPDs when it came out. So there's this moving target of, you know, a great game. It's, it's totally different than whether or not it makes money and then what type of money you need it to make with the number of headsets in the, in the wild. You can't expect to move that many units, right? You're not going to have a one-to-one attach rate. You're not Breath of the Wild and a Switch. <laughs> I think it's the only game that really did that. But if you can make do with less, the people that have headsets, I feel like, are, are pretty focused niche market that you're able to pitch to that and a lot of us are looking for great content every day so if you come out with that great game i bet a majority of headset owners will will jump on it but you're not gonna get the same attach rate you could if you make a non-vr game right yeah yeah and and uh to their credit ccp actually in their statement of um you know reshuffling their studios and and de-emphasizing vr uh, they closed their statement by saying, our belief in the long-term transformative power of the technology remains strong. So these guys still, I think, believe in VR. It just um, doesn't make financial sense for them to do it in the short term. I suspect we'll see them loop back around as we move into the next wave of hardware and, and this stuff starts to proliferate more. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm still very bullish on VR. I have no doubt that it's going to seem silly for us in 10 years to even have doubted it. It's going to be so, I think, ubiquitous. Um, and it'll it'll evolve, and it won't be exactly what it is now, and it'll be much easier to use and less cumbersome and more, uh, more impressive visually. And all that stuff that's being ironed out now will have been ironed out at that point. But uh, to, for people to sort of bang the drum of, of it's dead is a, is a little premature, I think. Uh all right, well, let's move on. There's, uh, there's some other stories, but I want to talk about games we've been playing because there's a lot to get to. So let's do that now and move on to the playlist. Let's start with Zen Pinball or Pinball Effects 3. Uh, and... I'm new to this game completely. I know Christian has been talking about it for literally years, right, Christian? Yeah, I mean, I think since it very first launched on Xbox Live Arcade, I think I've been around, and then I ported to Vita, and I, I literally think I own it on Xbox, PlayStation 3, Vita, PlayStation 4, iOS, PC, and I'm sure I'll get it on Switch, too, because... It feels like Switch is, like, the perfect I'd platform, say, right? Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, Vita, I guess, before that. But Switch is actually one of those that, you know, I have. So, actually, I have the Vita, too. Um, <laughs> but I want to talk to you, Mel, a little bit about the challenges of bringing a game like Pinball, which is, you know, a big physical, real-world experience, to a digital platform or digital platforms. Uh, because I feel like there are so many different... Um, different boards that you can download. I, I played a bunch of Marvel ones and Star Wars ones. They're really, really cool. But 
I noticed that you mostly stick to things that could actually exist as a real physical object instead of kind of going, you know, SSX tricky style and just like making it this bonkers, you know, because you're a digital game, you could do whatever you wanted, making it this uh, insane thing. You kind of stick to something that could exist. What's the decision making behind that? Well, we have a lot of people to please. Uh, <laughs> we're, just, we're serving two very different audiences with one game, and we're always kind of walking a very fine line, um, straddling the fence, so to speak. You have pinball purists who you know spent tons of time in arcades, and they they want the authentic feel of of the machine, and they want the ball to move the way it did on the machine, and things can't get too crazy. You can't have stuff flying around the screen. Otherwise, they tell you that you know you're ruining the game, and what is this nonsense? And like this isn't pinball. Right. And uh, and so you know we we try to still maintain this element that could really exist. We also don't change the ball and the flippers too much. Um, and then we've got a whole group of people who could care less what a machine looked like. They never played one to begin with, right. and they stumbled upon this game, uh, pinball, because it maybe had you know some of their favorite brands in it, or their friend made them play it, or their mom made them play it. Whatever, we hear it all. And then they're like, "Oh man, why don't you guys make the whole table flip upside down?" <laughs> yeah, which which we do in Infinity Gauntlet, um, and so. We kind of, you know, we try to stay within the confines of like whatever a theme allows us to do, and um, we also have our licensors who want us to be true to their IP. And uh, okay, if this makes sense in this world, you can do it, but don't take it too far. So we're kind of appeasing like all these different groups of people, and somehow we we managed to find a balance. And it, it seems like we're doing it because our fan mail is getting better and better as time goes on, which is a good thing. And uh, I don't know that. It's kind of a lot to uh, to try to mix in all in one board with a, two flippers and a ball, but we've been at it for a while. I think we're getting better at it. The other thing that I I that struck me as being a challenge with modern systems is that people, particularly on console, but also you know here on my PC, I'm playing on a widescreen monitor, and pinball is a decidedly portrait mode type experience, right? It's taller and longer than it is wide and yet somehow you guys have managed to make a widescreen experience work with a pinball machine we have in in uh jeff you can also turn your monitor vertically and we have a cat what we call cabinet support in there so you can play it vertically if you wish oh, is that so but i didn't even know on that ios happens. you can do that also i don't know yeah. if it's on switch mel it better be on switch but uh yeah it is can, it is on oh, switch yes you can totally play it that way and it's great oh that's rad but yeah, it's got to work on wide, you know, widescreen monitors, uh, also on on televisions and of all different sizes and whatnot. Um, and some people just don't care to turn it vertically. But um, actually, we're finding more and more people, especially on PC, um, that do that. Uh, but yeah, we we kind of use the uh, outside area, um, outside of the the table itself, to try to become part of whatever the theme is. You know, like with Deadpool, it looks like his his. Uh, room out there or for like secrets of the deep it, it looks like an aquarium or you're underwater so we just make it part of the experience itself and depending you know what your screen is doing you're getting more or less of that so it all just kind of blends together cool christian do you want to talk uh, i'm you're much more the you've been playing this game literally since i met you um <laughs> So is there anything you wanted to ask or bring up? I mean, I just have my own fan mail that I can send directly, and it's Iron Man, that table. I hate it, uh, mostly because I'm awful at it. I, I hate I hate that table. I see the leaderboards, and I think that you've lied, and you just put up fake numbers. And then Jaws, the most recent Jaws table, is, is incredible. It is, it is stunning. I love it. I thought I'd be more into Back to the Future because that's the IP that I like more, and I like that environment. 
but there's a, a really nice openness to the Jaws table that I think rewards precision without punishing mistakes. Like, you don't get ball out when I miss, which and I miss a lot, but when you're able to hit it where you want to hit it, it, it feels it feels really good. So Iron Man sucks, <laughs> and Jaws is really good. Do you have a favorite, Mal? Like, when you go through these, and you don't need to say which one you think sucks, just say it because it's Iron Man, clearly. Um, just which one's your favorite? Like, how do you play test or decide this feels right from, you know, open, close? Like, Infinity Gauntlet is, you know, pretty bonkers in terms of the tables up to that point. I think there was, God, what was it? There was another one that was, oh, I think it was, what was the wizard one? Oh, man. Well, Sorcerer's Lair? Yeah. Like, that. that's like an original table for you guys, right? It is, yes. And that did some fun stuff, too, like, way back in the day. Um, but like, how do you approach these, and what do you look for? In, like your favorite play style, and then determining because Jaws isn't the same as Back to the Future. It's not the same as uh, Iron Man, which I'll never speak of again. Um, designing the table out to make them feel different, but also you know work with the IP that you're playing. With. Yeah, and you know we've got a great team of pinball developers, uh, guys who have been with us now going on a, on a decade. And Sorry these to the guys person are who designed Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that guy's no longer at the company. (laughs) That guy's no no longer with us. (laughs) He's one of the only ones. We've only lost a handful of guys over this time. He's one of the guys who's no longer with us, actually. That's nothing personal. I just hate that table. Because he passed away, Christian. No, stop, Jeff. (laughs) Did you ever see Ultimo pop up out of the center of the table? No, of course not. I I have like like a million points on that table. I am awful at it. Awful. Awful. Actually, that that table taught us more than any other game that we've made because... Like point one percent of all people who played that table have seen Ultimo, <laughs> and that is not a good thing. Yeah, so what's the lesson there? Why is it? And I, I don't want to use the word bad. Why am I so awful at it? Like, why did no one see Ultimo pop out? No, you're, you're not alone. It's just the, the table balance what was off. The rule set was a little weird, and you know, Ultimo was he's the main boss battle, and he's one of the mo- he is the best moment of that game. And for nobody to see that is a major mistake on our part. Like, you need to have enough um, where, you know, some casual players can come in and get some really cool visuals and eye candy and see 3D interactive characters doing cool stuff. But then you need to have enough moments that are deep enough where you really got to know the game and make it happen. But Ultimo should have been some, you know, more casual bit and maybe some of the other stuff that went on that everybody saw that wasn't nearly as exciting you know, be the deeper stuff. So we we learned quite a bit. So, yeah, we made that mistake, and I share your assessment. It's not so good. <laughs> I think Rogue One strikes that balance well um, in terms of, like, I don't need to be very precise, but I'll see something pop up, whether it's, you know, a trooper that I'm knocking down or the ship flying in. And then when I need to execute to, like, succeed to do the thing, I, I'm not able to do it. But, like, you're able to see the fun, cool, splashy stuff that's happening. Um my last question that I'd have about it is how, and maybe it's just what the IP gives you, but between using cuts from the game or from the, the uh, uh, film, like actual voice lines, or going in and re-recording stuff, because I feel like, and I could, my memory could be wrong, but like some of maybe the Marvel Marvel tables have MCU lines, and others it seems like you brought in different voice actors to do to do lines. Is that just an IP by IP thing? It is. Uh, every IP kind of holds its own licensing challenges. Uh, sometimes we have very easy access to cast members to uh, lift straight from films uh, and music. Obviously, you got a license, but everyone's different level of difficulty to work with. So every time uh, we work with a new IP, there's we're discovering new things that you know 
I've done so much licensing, I thought I've seen it all, but I always find something new. And uh, whenever we can, we, we do get uh, the talent, we get authentic music, but sometimes it's just not possible. Um, so in the case like with the new Universal Classics pack, uh, we did you know have to do some re-records and use some talent uh, that was not from film, but uh, you know from like for Star Wars, we're using the authentic score and, and it's awesome, it's amazing. And uh, Deadpool, we use Nolan North, who um, is you know one of the he is the voice of gaming for for Deadpool and a number of other games that he he's fantastic. Um, so it's just, it's it is hit and miss, and uh, I'll just say you know licensed music. But music licensing is is very very difficult. Uh, probably the most difficult thing in, that I've had to uh, experience in in this realm. Very cool. Well, let's move on and talk about what else is on your playlist other than Zen Studios Productions. Uh, what are you playing? I am playing Super Mario Odyssey. Um, I cannot put that down. We're having a blast. Uh, I have a you know six and eight year old daughters and. This is their first real Mario experience, and it's just been so fun to play with them. And I was their age when I first played Mario. Wow! And man, it's just it's just so cool. Uh, I don't know as a dad, and it, obviously it's an amazing game. But we're just having really really great moments right now. Oh, that's so cool, man. Um, I, Christian, I'm sure you're having the same kind of thing with your daughters. Yeah, Estelle, my oldest who just turned five, hasn't started, hasn't gone hands-on with it yet, but she, you know, really likes watching it. And then she asked me, it's this interesting thing, I think, of how kids figure out games and put the pieces together. And Mel, I don't know. Do you make, do you make her watch your stream of it, or do you get... No, like, yeah, she's, she has to be a viewer, and I logged her into Twitch to help bump my numbers. Um, smart, smart. Yeah. Make sure she's <laughs> contributing, too. She used my wife's this. Prime subscription to give me a Prime sub. You know, it's just... Uh, smart. Yeah. Um, she was like, oh, cool, where do you go to get on your cart? And I was like, oh, this doesn't have Mario. I mean, it kind of has some racing. Like, this isn't Mario Kart. And she goes, oh. <laughs> and just like, you know, toddler talk that people that don't have kids won't care about this part. She goes, oh, well, where does he keep his cart when he comes here? All <laughs> <laughs> question. Uh, There's a room in the Odyssey hat, I guess. Yeah. Garage. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. I, I, have to, I have to point out here, uh, I got a lot of feedback last week after I talked about the insane um, co-oping experience that I had. People are like, you know, you don't have to play it like that. You can play it with the pro controller, and then the other person can have both Joy-Cons. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. I know that. I mean, I understand that. But that's not, A, that's not how Nintendo advertises the Switch, right? It's like, you know, each Joy-Con is its own controller. And, B, what fun would that be, you know, if we could both control the the camera with a stick? I mean, no, probably probably on. a lot of fun. Are you playing Probably co-op, not. Mel, or are, you pl- are they taking their own run? How are you playing? Life level? Like, what's your approach to Mario <laughs> with the kids? Yeah, we're not playing uh, co-op. It's it's mostly uh, them just running around and trying to figure stuff out, and then when they get stuck, they toss it over to me. So <laughs> we progress a little slower than uh, we would be You know, if I was just playing by myself or just driving uh, the majority of the time. But it's kind of a, a weird. Maybe it is a, a co-op in a sense uh, with a pro controller, and we just pass it back and forth. It's awesome. Uh, it's such a magical game, and it really is. I think everybody's sort of finding the delight in it. And I keep <laughs> I keep talking to friends, and they're like, 512 moons." I'm like, "Oh man," or you know, "340 moons." Like it's like everybody's just talking about how many moons they've gotten. Um, it's uh, it's a magical magical experience. I talked that to a friend think... in the he saw the Switch Mario Odyssey bundle in the wild and texted me, "Should I get this?" And I was just like, "All caps, yes." <laughs> <laughs> he replied, "I'm his most expensive friend." 
So what else is on your playlist, Mel? Uh, let's see. I, I jumped into Hob on your recommendation, actually. Um, oh, yeah. I you know I'm a big Runic fan, and I played Torchlight one and two, but I d- didn't give Hob the look that it. Uh, you know that I needed to just to understand what it was or what to do, and then I, I heard you talking about the game, and I said, "All right, I got to check this out." And and I love it. Um, it's incredible, and I should not be surprised because this is a you know a runic quality game with the highest standard. Um, I can see the inspiration from previous work, you know, with, with Torchlight and whatnot. But man, it just brings back like Metroidvania and Zelda and all these feelings. But it moves along much faster, mm-hmm. and it's perfectly paced for my life today. And uh, the puzzles aren't overwhelming. They're actually fairly simple, but like I enjoy it right now because of my limited g- game time. I feel like I'm progressing and I'm accomplishing things, so it feels really good. But it's beautiful, and the levels are fun, and the, the whole world itself is a, a puzzle, I guess. I'm I'm only to where um, I don't know what happened. Like I just got the whole conduit lit up, so I don't know how far through I am. But things are coming together, and I'm you know it's just like what is this whole world I'm a part of, and I'm just thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, it. it- Playing that game, it just makes me so sad that Runic is is going away, and there isn't going to be a Hob too. I mean, maybe someday, but uh, it, it it's you're right. Art direction just exquisite. There's really no game world quite like it. It's this wonderful mashup of the natural and the digital, and everything feels a little digital, but also colorful and vibrant and and natural. It, and how you're brought into the world is wonderful. It's mysterious, and you're just kind of following this. Gollum, there's no spoken dialogue, there's no text, it's just all contextual and animation to convey the emotion and the, uh, the, uh, your, your goals and all that stuff. It, it's a really exquisite game, and I'm such a sucker for sort of clockwork tech, you know, the, when things lock together and move and break apart and shift and rotate, and this game is like a fetish of that. It's so great, man. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, it's such a shame. Uh, I hope I hope more people, in light of them closing, give this game a shot because it, it really came out at an inopportune time for it to get the attention it deserves, and and that's a shame because it should be one of those games that people are talking about. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I would actually love to like rally the troops and just have everybody go buy this game and support them and show Perfect World that hey, I don't know what you guys were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's just the 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 developer in me. You know, because this is an amazing game. This team is so capable of incredible things. It's amazing. Yeah, I agree. I, I tweeted it out uh, sadness that they were closing, and I was like, buy Hob, buy Hob, and somebody wrote back and said, I'm waiting for the Switch version. I'm like, well, that's not happening now. <laughs> You know, that's so yeah. sad. Anyway, uh, what else is on your playlist? Well, I'm a sucker for the fall and Halloween updates. I love Halloween themed everything. Um, I've and I've been playing Fortnite Battle Royale, and then their Halloween update come out came out, and I just had to get it because the pumpkin launcher looks stinking awesome. And lo and behold, <laughs> it is really fun to shoot pumpkins long range like an RPG style weapon <laughs> and, and blow up uh, people's forts um, you know as as we're all running away from the storm so um, the Fortnite Battle Royale uh, fall that slash Halloween theme has been a lot of fun I don't know what game did it first maybe it was an MMO somewhere like early one of the early MMOs but I love you're right so many games now have the you know the Christmas event the Halloween event the fall f- whatever it's great. I've been I've been hooked on uh, Heroes of the Storm trying to get loot boxes because there's special 
Hollow's End loot boxes in Heroes of the Storm. But uh, it's cool to hear about Fortnite as well. Are you now? You said you're all excited about PUBG hitting Xbox. Do you think that it'll pull you away from Fortnite? I think so. I love the guys at Epic and everything, and I'm glad that they released Battle Royale, but I think it's just like the appetizer right now. I think everybody is like, all right, let's get our Battle Royale skills. Let's understand how these things are played on console and you know, all this stuff because there's nothing like it on console right now. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do think that it's kind of priming the pump, so to speak, for, uh, for PUBG. I think everyone's going to r- race out and want to play it. That's exciting. Speaking of racing, you've also been playing Rocket League, right? Oh yeah, I can never let that one go. So that's good. your also that's your addiction. Yeah, I love Rocket League. I wish I was better at it. Same. Um, <laughs> some of the stuff that people do in there, I just don't know if it's real. I'm like, how do you do that? I'm just not coordinated enough, you know. <laughs> I love it. Um, but again, they have their their autumn update, as they call it, and we've been playing with hockey pucks, and uh, it's it's cool. Just changes it up a little bit, and we've been earning candy corn currency and buying all this like Halloween cool stuff for our car, and Rick and Morty wheels flying around everywhere now. So I just love the way the game is bringing together so many different IPs and elements, and you can throw anything into this world now, and it just works, and it's so fun. They just keep it really, really fresh. It's it's great. And they're an example of a studio too, like having the freedom or money to be able to do what they wanted to do or i mean this game was out already right for all intents and purposes a version rocket hyper league whatever it was called the first one with its cumbersome long title and it didn't set the world on fire and then rocket league came out and maybe helped by being a ps plus game before we were inundated with you know gold xbox games with gold and ps plus and all this stuff but like maybe right place right time but it set the world on fire, and they just moved into their new studios in San Diego, and they're able to keep supporting this game, and it's become this this force, which I feel like sometimes it seems like in the marketplace now maybe that first game comes out, and then a few years later it's not really a hit, and that studio goes away, and you never get a Rocket League, and that's you know unfortunate, right? Totally. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And as far as I understand it, this uh, Rocket League was actually called something else entirely on PC, and this was kind of a new iteration. Like they just right, yeah, it was they like Rocket Hyper yeah. Racing something League. Like it was out years ago or there a couple years ago. Yeah, and then here they bring it to yeah to PS Plus, like you said, and gave it away. And I listened to an interview recently. I forgot where it was, but they were talking about how they did not have a way to monetize. There was no way for people to spend money and they put it out there and then they just had so many people and like they were staying up all night even and they had their wives refreshing servers. It's such a great story. Um, and then they finally were able to release something like six months later that people could actually spend on um, <laughs> and, and, it, and it turned out to be great for them. So it's just such a, it, it's a, just a spirit of like you doing what you love and you believe in it and we're just going to go for it and those guys did it and congratulations to them. And I think that model kind Sionics of worked out for them too versus like coming with, you know, not that they would have and, you know, I don't think this game necessarily would have launched this way but like a whole bunch of loot boxes and feeling like they're just preying on people for their money. Like they literally did, it's, you know, obviously PS Plus you have to pay for but they gave it away. And people weren't, I think people were dying to find ways to give them tips, right? Like cash tip, like you would at a coffee shop or whatever restaurant, where it's like, we love your game so much. I want more. I want to pay you for more. I feel bad I got this for free. What could I do? And they've released, you know, the visual stuff, and it's been, it's been smart updates. And then, like you said, the hockey, basketball, like all of that stuff has come for free. And then they've had some really smart IP related, you know, Back to the Future. I definitely bought that car. 
um, the Batman vs Superman car, or Batman Batmobile car, and then some of like the zany or silly stuff they've done also. But it's it's been a really smart marketplace that hasn't ruined the core gameplay experience. I think that's been key as well. Yeah, and they've got the Fast and the Furious cars, which are awesome as well. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of I, I like to think uh, you know Zen's approach. We we give away the pinball platform and we give away a table, and then whatever it is you want to buy or not buy or ex- play, it's there for you. But we're not forcing players into it. And we're not doing like the loot boxes and those kind of things. So it's very much like I identify with Rocket League just from a business standpoint. Like I enjoy the way that they are presenting the game and all the great things I can do and buy. I love to spend money. I, I don't have a problem with it. And um, so I think that they'll find long-term success with that. And, and not to mention the game is like phenomenal. So mm-hmm. it's perfect. Christian, you have been playing the new Call of Duty World War Two, right? Yeah, just the campaign mode so far. I have the first hour. When you're listening to this, there might be more, but the first hour for at least on my Twitch, which is just Christian Spicer, and it'll be archived on my YouTube, which is Christian Spicer seven one three at some point as well. And um, it, it it's weird, right? Because it's and this is Sledgehammer. I know it's not the same team that makes it every year, but I think Call of Duty we forget to praise all of the stuff it does so well year in year out because it's unfortunately had it raises its bar every year so the baseline of what we expect from a call of duty game is so much higher than like any new game that comes out we'd be like and the sound is amazing you know the explosions going the guns feel fantastic because it's like well of course they do it's call of duty so i want to take a minute to say that yes of course we expect that because it's call of duty but it sounds incredible the guns feel incredible you know, going back to World War II, it has those sounds that you've known and loved, and for me, grown up with, right? Of this video game approach to warfare, but updated in this high fidelity way, um, where it is it is stunning visually. The faces are, the facial animation is just top tier. It's this weird thing, and I talked about it on my stream for the first hour too, where I think it's interesting that because we have the technology now to bring actors into games we make them the actor which i think is kind of funny we're like no make them someone else you can make them anyone why why is this they paid a lot of money for that actor so you gotta make sure you tell it's the actor right and you can tell it's the actor like you know that uncanny valley is getting smaller and smaller i keep walking back up the hill because my time in the valley is, is very brief um it looks great the amount of environmental stuff going on around you um, the levels I've played have been fairly linear in, in, in scope, the way Call of Duty campaign levels often are, but there's so much going on around the edges that it doesn't feel as if I'm surrounded by invisible walls. It's like there's this huge blast going on over there, so I'm not going to run where this German bomber is obliterating the countryside. It's you know it, That is what's funneling me down towards this next play environment where I'm going to go. So all of that stuff, it, it feels and it moves and it's paced very very well the stuff where i would knock the campaign is i feel like it's trying to do everything and it would i imagine is only going to take me six hours of playing on normal you know six hours to kind of get through the campaign it's i feel like it is cramming every single world war ii trope into this game like within the first 20 minutes you do the saving private ryan like knife you know thrust and then roll over then thrust and then 
the first five minutes you're showing a buddy a picture of your girl from home like will she wait for me I don't know and then like ten minutes later you have this weird overly bonding moment with the guy who then you know gets lit up five minutes later and so it's it, it, it conflates all of this stuff that none of it has any emotional weight I think they're trying to treat the subject matter with reverence and respect but like Taylor's like down. Who's, who's Cliff Nuts ta- version? Yeah, it's like who was Taylor again? Taylor was Rodriguez's friend. Who's Rodriguez? <laughs> he, he's on your company, Daniels. Am I Daniels? Like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Um. So with that stuff, there's this weird disconnect of like, it, they're trying to make it important and have weight because it is this thing that our grandparents or great grandparents lived through, right? And it was this very real horrific event. But at the same time, it also has all of the huge that are awesome gameplay moments like bombastic moments of Call of Duty games. So it's trying to be like somber and give this connection to your squad and your buddies and your girl and the blah, blah, blah. But then it's like the bomber crashes right in front of you and blows up and you're like, expletive, yeah! Like, you know, jumping through it, dual wielding, you're not doing it. But you know what I mean? It's that feeling of like... Rambo. Rambo, yeah. right. What, what, what is the... From a gameplay perspective, mechanically... Does it feel like modern warfare, Diablo or Diablo, Call of Duty stuck into uh, a World War II setting, or does it feel like it's slower and more methodical and more realistic? No, I mean, well, I think I think you're right. It, it feels like modern warfare and a World War II setting, but modern warfare, you have to remember, you didn't have jetpacks like OG Call of Duty Four Modern Warfare. You were right. still boots on the ground, so I think it very much feels like that. And I haven't played the multiplayer on the final version yet, but I played the beta, and it's Call of Duty speed. You're still flying around. I still suck at it. Um, you're not wall running or any of that type of stuff. Um, so like the sight lines are a little different, but no, it's not. You don't feel like you're walking through mud by any stretch of the imagination. It, it feels and moves like a Call of Duty, and if you remember any of those early Call of Duty games, it's very much that, but they've just learned the lessons that they've learned from other Call of Duties where even in the first hour you have those cool um, few moments. I mean, I guess every hour you probably have one of them where it pulls you out of boots on the ground and you're doing something cool. So like in Call of Duty Modern Warfare, it was that moment where you were in the bomb plane with night vision, right? Or Advanced Warfighter, that's the last one you had your your space combat like this pulls you out of being just a dude on the ground and you're manning an, an anti-tank gun for a little bit and that's cool and right. doing all of this stuff um i can't speak to the multiplayer and how that will stick for people i know it had a bunch of issues at launch but it seems like they're getting uh ironed out and then I'm, i want to dive into the zombie co-op mode too you know, i mean that apparently is almost the same length as the uh, campaign so i'm sure i'll be talking about the game more for weeks to come but early impressions are positive it's just hard to take the story seriously when it's also rambo you know heck yeah throughout the whole campaign too i know it's been more than 10 years since i played these world war ii you know medal of honor and call of duty and all of those world war ii games that were so ubiquitous back then but i still feel burnt out like i don't have any desire to play this game at all because i feel like i've been through World War II, backwards and forwards in these games. And I think you'll see both sides of that coin. I understand that, and I also think the graphic fidelity and some of the horror, it's harder to stomach because it, it, it was my grandfather. And seeing people like smashing someone's head with a helmet, knowing it's real, air quote, um, is hard. And it was hard then, and it's only harder now that it doesn't look like a PS2 game anymore. Um, right. But I think you'll see both sides. People are still burnt out, but like you guys talked about you know, Vanilla WoW coming back, 
I think there are a lot of gamers that are excited to get back to this for, this seems weird to say, but nostalgia purposes, right? This was their college dorm game. And it's that kind of comfort food of going back to the World War II video game. And then, Mel, I'm going to lump you in with us old folks over here. This is a lot of kids' first World War II Call of Duty. Yeah, so for I think sure. There's a yep. lot of appeal of that. We've, you know, they've heard so much about it, but people in middle school, freshmen, they haven't played one yet, and and this is it, and it's it in spades. So I think it could be a real hit. Not the only disturbing first-person shooter you played this week, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, will you talk? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll talk. It. We can loop, we can loop back. Yeah, I don't want to. They're both oppressive, but I really want to talk more Wolfenstein too. I just need a break, <laughs> and Sounds I want to hear about why I hate you this week. Uh, you hate me this week because I've been playing um, Horizon Zero Dawn's expansion, The Frozen <laughs> Wilds, which uh, comes out on Tuesday. And um, Horizon Zero Dawn, one of the best games of the year, in my opinion, one of the best open-world role-playing games ever made, in my opinion. Um, it w- I'm very, very excited to revisit that world. I played the living crap out of the first one. Or, first one. The... <laughs> the original game but it was this year it's not like yeah it was a long time ago. it was february you know um and you know i maxed level i finished the game i did almost every side quest there was a few things i didn't do but i just i squeezed a lot out of that game but i squeezed a lot out of that game in february and really haven't touched it since so it's funny coming back to the frozen wilds because you load it in you get, you know, you pop back into the game, you go to any of the major cities, and there's a quest guy there who's like, ooh, there's this new area you should check out. It's called The Cut. It's in the north. Remember that area that was blocked? Not blocked anymore. <laughs> go that way. I'm like, ooh, that sounds cool. So I, you know, I climb up on my faithful steed, and then I, and I ride, and I get to The Cut, and I do some cool traversal stuff, and I get to the other side of The Cut, and lo and behold, there is this new massive enemy, this new mechanical beast waiting to attack me called the scorcher and it's funny because you kind of like you crest this rise and you walk into this new area and there's a chest there and you loot the chest and it's like here's uh heat protection potions two of them here you go i was like oh heat protection potions i wonder why i need oh god fire everywhere there's fire coming at me from the scorcher so this new beast is like this gatekeeper to this new land and it's so hilarious because I'm like, I have forgotten everything about how that's to play what, this game. So I was going to ask, how did it feel to jump back into that combat? No, man. I didn't know what I was. I was like, what's the dodge button again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, my, what weapons did I leave off with? Um, what's my loadout? What armor type was I wearing? Oh, man. What are these? How, do the, how does this all work? I got my butt handed to me by that scorcher like four times in a row before I got my skills back uh and it's so funny because i can't remember the last time that i i played like new content like this from a from a game that i played so much and it's just so funny how quickly all just left me all of those skills i built up by playing the game in such a concentrated time period any (laughs) any time away from it i was just like woof i've forgotten all of this but Got back, you know, managed to sort of relearn all that stuff, and uh, and I gotta say, this is more Horizon Zero Dawn, right? Which is a very very good thing in my opinion. Like the quality I don't of think the writing it, and everything seems there, the voice yes. acting and all that stuff. 
Yes, for sure. All of the character designs are... I mean, I think this is one of the best costumed video games ever. You know, like the the crazy cool mashup of like uh, Inuit and Native American culture with like crazy future tech, you know, we're skinning the 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 pelts of our an- animal uh, prey and using them as as uh, clothing except our animals are metallic and so it's all, you know, it's all robot parts that we're using as clothing. I just love that stuff. I will say they set up a new narrative, obviously, and because uh, Horizon Zero Dawn very much has an ending, right? It very much has closure. And There's it loose threads. Doesn't. Well, yeah, there's loose threads, but it's very much like the main thing you were curious about, here's the answer to that, which I loved about it. So it's, it, I think it has to really try hard to create some tension now because it's like all that tension is released. I don't, I'm not being pulled through this world in quite the same way I was. And I don't think it necessarily does that super well, uh, but that's such a nitpick because the game world is so fun, the, the fights are so fun. The new areas you see are really cool. The new characters you're meeting are cool. Uh, side quests feel even more robust and filled out than before. Um, I, I mean, it's it's a new, huge new area. Lots of new. I think it's like 15 hours of content. Whoa. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a great reminder of how excellent that game is. And there's just more of it. It doesn't feel like you get a new um, a new talent tier that you can put points into now and you can keep leveling up beyond the the level limit and put new points in all these talents but they're not like reinventing the wheel it's not like she gets crazy new abilities um you know you can like loot from mounted now is like one of the first (laughs) first talents you get it's like it's not going to change the world right it's a nice quality of life improvement but it's not it's not like she can now now she can throw spears or create fire from her eyes you know it's 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 more of the same game, but that's a good thing. Yeah, I hate you. I'm excited. I, I honestly forgot that that came out on Tuesday. I know, like, the retail complete edition is sometime in December, I think, but uh, I'm excited. I love that game. Yeah, I do too. It's so good. Frozen Wilds, the Horizon Zero Dawn expansion, uh, it's it's excellent. I highly recommend it. It is for high-level players of horizon zero dawn though so i don't i don't think you can just go and do the new stuff if you haven't gotten to level 30 at Mm. least in horizon so just be aware of that cool i also want to talk a little bit about blizzcon because i played a bunch of stuff there i basically played everything that you could play um but the thing i want to focus on is not heroes of the storm shockingly it is hearthstone because hearthstone had i think one of the coolest announcements that they could have made and one that was completely unexpected to me, their new expansion, which is called Kobolds and Catacombs, has a new mode, a new game mode called Dungeon Run, which is a new single-player way to play Hearthstone that basically works like a roguelike. It's completely free. You don't have to buy any cards or own any cards or have any card packs at all to play it. You start out with 10 cards that the game gives you, random 10 cards, which are kind of paltry. And you compose a pretty wimpy little deck out of these 10 cards. And then you start fighting bosses. It's all single player, so it's all AI-controlled bosses. And, like, the first boss I fought was a rat. It was literally 
how you start most role-playing games, right? Or D&D. It's like you're fighting a rat. And it was pretty easy to beat that rat. The rat had five health points, but it, like, you know, threw out a bunch of rat cards and did rat stuff. But I beat it. And when you beat it, you get uh, several new cards and, like, a new ability for your character. And then you start building up cards. And you keep doing that as you go tier after tier of new bosses that get more and more difficult to beat. And you're now composing a deck based on the cards that you're getting from each of these wins. But if you lose, you lose all your cards and you have to start over. So it's like a roguelike. Like, as long as you keep winning, you can keep playing and get more cool stuff. But once you lose, you lose everything. It's really fun. It's really clever. It's a great way, I think, for people that, like myself, actually, that love Hearthstone but haven't played in a long time to get back into it. Because it's like, I I just feel overwhelmed by the meta and by the number of cards that I would need to either buy or unlock or craft. Um, And now this way it's just like, no, just jump in, have fun. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just play the game like this. It's almost like its own standalone iOS game. You know, I just, I'm very excited to play more of it. I had a blast playing it at BlizzCon and I think it's going to get me back into Hearthstone, frankly. So it worked. (laughs) It worked. It full on worked. Yeah. So if you haven't played since, like, Whispers of the Old Gods, it doesn't matter. You can, like, come back now and go into dungeon red mode yeah. and you're all cool. You're all describing right. me. That's exactly me. I, <laughs> I, I got overwhelmed by the speed at which they were putting out expansions. I fell behind. I got into Heroes of the Storm. I, like, I stopped playing Hearthstone. I gave my love. But I felt like I just – I can't jump back in now because the meta has shifted. I don't have any of the new cards. I just – I can't. But now – there's a way to do it and not worry about any of that stuff. And I mean, I know a lot of people play Arena, and there's other ways. I don't save your emails. I know there's lots of other ways to get into Hearthstone, <laughs> but I think this is the way that's probably going to work for me. Nice. Okay, Christian, are you ready to talk about Wolfenstein, or you want to? Yeah, no, I'm ready. So I'll start by saying that you and Mel both need to play this game. It. I'm is, gonna. It I'm is gonna. difficult. I think the way I tweeted it was: it's not always easy to watch and play, and it's certainly not a perfect game. But I think Wolfenstein 2, and it seems so weird to say this again about a character, B.J. Blazkowicz, I think it's a very important game. I think it came out on the wrong day. But it handles a difficult subject matter in such a mature and responsible way. And it, it, again, Boy, what I played of it does not occur, did not feel like that to me. I was seeing, like, raunchy sex scenes and, and, and just goofy jokes and stuff, but... Maybe I, I saw it in snippets, so I haven't started from the beginning. It is it is very over the top, and especially the first hour and stuff, and the violence is. I mean, it's 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 gory, and you see decapitations, and you're forced to look at them, and it's you know it, it's a, a good looking game, so the graphical fidelity is there, and the characters um, are often cartoonish. Well, the villains, the what's her name? I forget the, the Nazi woman's name. Um, yeah, Death Smile or whatever her whatever her name is, uh, that you're kind of bumping up against for a good part of the game. Um, and, and she's, she's played, you know, like, a like the Joker, like a sinister Joker, not like the slap happy Joker where she's, she's just gone, right? Just totally gone off the sanity charts and, and doing these horrific things and laughing about them. But the, the character of Blaskowitz and the internal monologue that he's having both in game and during the cutscenes, and the way he's wrestling with his own upbringing and the realities of the world that he lived in and grew up in and now finds himself in again and wanting to make the world a better place surrounding all of this brutality and 
the, hor the horrific world he lives in, it is a game that handles horror, uh, not like jump scares, but just the horrors of society, with uh, brightness in a way that most games don't. It is, it is bleak, but it is bleak with hope and opportunity and a desire to be the change, right? Like how we, we end the show every week. And that aspect of the game makes it so fascinating to see this character wrestling and knowing that he's also not perfect and wondering what he's going to leave behind um, should he not make it out of this world and whether or not he's made it a better place. Or so it's dealing with all of this Nazi stuff. It's dealing with 1960s actual America's cruel past uh, with segregation and anti-Semitism and the stuff that our country wrestled with for real and isn't done wrestling with. And doing all of that in a in a world too that's wrestling with things like Batman themes of is the world better because of me or not because of me? Am I this killer that is doing all of this horrific stuff and actually, you know, making the world worse off for anyone that wants to follow in my footsteps or anyone that I bring into my life? Can I love anyone? And I I, I feel weird talking about this about B J Blazkowicz, but he's so well acted, so well voiced, and the the horrific, over-the-top violence of it is is contrasted really well with how he's dealing with that. He knows he's been built to be this killing machine that just goes out to do these things, and it's helped a little bit by your killing horrible, horrible people, but you're still surrounding yourself with violence and wondering if there's a better way or if we as a society will ever find a better way. And it's, it's challenging, but I really, really, really think it's worth playing. Um, from a, go ahead. I was going to say, I am going to play it. I, I, like I said, I'm, I've been saving it for my Xbox One X when it arrives next week. So uh, I think definitely we should do like a, a spoiler bonus content when, yeah. I, when I finish it and talk, talk it through. Yeah. So what I want to say now just about gameplay, I do think it's better. I haven't played it, but I think it's likely better on PC. I feel like Doom, Wolfenstein 1 and 2, like these Bethesda games seemed tuned both in speed and kind of aiming and stuff like that for PC play versus console. I'm playing on PS4. I'm getting through it. Uh, I've turned it down to the all the way easiest setting because <laughs> I kept getting lit up at this one section. And I was like, you know what? Forget it. I played Uncharted on easy. I'm playing Wolfenstein 2 on easy. Um, yeah. And I've been happier for it going forward. I think on PC I probably wouldn't have had to, but I've just had issues with it and then the level design often feels cool and oppressive or realistic like it's a real house that's actually been bombed out but i found myself caught on stairwells and and things like that that are frustrating in the environment or not knowing exactly where i need to go for a game that's fairly linear that i think is supposed to be leading me away i'll get turned around in this thing so it doesn't do i always use left for dead as the example of like the game that pulls you through with its level design or destiny 2 where it's always kind of guiding you where to go subconsciously even with how you're supposed to approach a level or uh, a gameplay area so like from a gameplay perspective it's not perfect um, but it does a lot right and then the story that it's telling and the moment to moment stuff is still fun uh, yeah i'm excited to talk to you after you've played it yeah we'll definitely be talking about that game more all right, um, I want to move on. I want to thank our second sponsor, which is Eero. So Eero is a, a new way to build Wi-Fi in your home. I actually just got this for my dad because I was sick, honestly, of going to his house and having spotty Wi-Fi reception. If you have spotty Wi-Fi reception, 
in your house, you should really perk up because Eero is a new way to do this. So unlike routers that uh, are once place in your in your house and send out a signal and probably get blocked by walls and all kinds of other stuff and have varying effective areas in your house. Eero is a uh, distributed system. So you have different you have uh, a, a, a central uh, Eero hub and then these beacons that are placed wherever you need them and all you have to do is plug them into an outlet in your wall you can plug them into anywhere so you get coverage as you need it it's a completely modular system so you literally can have as many of these little things as you need and distribute them based on the needs of your home your residence your business wherever you want to set it up and Best of all, they have this app, this Eero app that lets you manage your network and see how your coverage is working out, where where you need to maybe add one of these things or place it in a different, slightly different place. Also, you can manage your system over that app in really cool ways. You can shut off access or you can open up guest, uh, guest logins and all that stuff. It's so simple. It's so easy. That's my favorite part. That's why I got it from my dad is because it's easy. It's literally plugging something into an outlet in a wall and then going to the app. And the app just guides you through it in a very simple, straightforward way. Eero, you got to know about this. They have incredible customer support. They have a it's, a... it's distributed Wi-Fi. It's so cool. So basically what they say is with Eero, you can install enterprise-grade Wi-Fi in your home in just a few minutes. And I have found that to be very true. It's so, so cool. Best of all, we're going to hook you up with free overnight shipping in the U.S. or Canada when you visit Eero.com and use the promo code DLC when you check out. So you just uh, select overnight shipping and then you enter the promo code DLC. It makes it free. Eero is E-E-R-O.com. Check it out. I'm telling you, I have been so impressed with this system. I love uh, having my dad on it because now when I visit him, which I'm going to do over the holidays, uh, now I don't have to worry about spotty Wi-Fi or walls blocking everything. The entire house is covered, and it's awesome. Second generation Eero at Eero.com. Use that promo code DLC for free overnight shipping. I did want to do a quick VR segment because um, Zen Studios' first big uh, publishing game that, that we talked about at the beginning is Out of Ammo, which is a game I played on Vive uh, on on Steam, and now you guys are bringing it to PlayStation VR, which clearly means you guys believe in VR as a platform and this game in particular, right, Mel? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and, you know, we've released several VR titles at this point across the uh, most viable VR platforms. Um, PSVR has done the best for us uh, in terms of performance and moving units and whatnot. Also seems to be the most capable, just quick, out of the box, plug it in and people get it. So we think taking a game like Out of Ammo, which has seen great success on Vive, bring it to PSVR. Um, we think the game will do well there and it'll be well received. It's a great game. Uh, I don't know yeah. what your thoughts were on it. Um, what you enjoyed about it? 
about yeah, it. Yeah, it's so fun, man. It, it's it's really a, a wild uh, uh, mashup between a, a shooter and sort of a more strategic game. It's sort of like you're inside uh, a game that you're usually looking down on, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's a great way to explain it. And, you know, you got your uh, troops coming at you, like you're getting ready for battle, but you get to set up all your defenses and your outposts and kind of get strategic, and then the battle starts, and, yeah, then you're in the battle from a first-person uh, perspective, and you can move around all your different units and hopefully, you know, yeah, not run out of ammunition. Otherwise, uh, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Is there any plan to support the aim controller on that game? Oh, that's a great... You know, we were thinking about that and uh what was the name of the uh, farpoint yeah. it was a great implementation with that controller we're working on it uh we didn't we're not going to have it done for launch um at least i don't think we will but yeah we're working on it we'd love to support that controller because um it's a great device it, it adds quite a bit to the experience um, I, I don't know if you've yeah. played it yourself yeah, I I love Farpoint, and I I think the aim controller. I wish that Sony would make it a centerpiece of their PSVR lineup because um, I think more games would benefit from it. I'm, I think the move controllers are fine, but I, I really do think that that aim controller with the sticks and and just the way it feels in the hand, I think it's excellent. It actually makes me prefer playing some games on PSVR to the other VR platforms. Yeah, uh, and the interesting thing, you know, Out of Ammo was set up for room scale on on Vive. Obviously, with um, PSVR, it's a, it's a little different. So mm-hmm. it, the experience will be different from what you played on on PC. Um, but you know, supporting Sony uh, with their PSVR initiative, and you know, we've got these other VR titles and whatnot. Um, they, you know, for them, I think that they really need to see like content. Um, and developers uh, flocking to these kind of devices for them to it, for it to make sense to them to push it. Yeah. So we're hoping uh, we know some stuff going on behind the scenes, but I do think that you're going to see that aim controller get a little more love here, um, especially early next year. Ooh, I like the sound yeah. of that. I, I was very excited to hear. I don't even know if I mentioned it on the show last week, but I heard that um, Doom on PlayStation yeah. VR is going to support it. So I think that's. That's great. I, I, I'm in favor of more games uh, supporting that controller because it's, it's excellent. Jeff, if you hadn't, if you haven't, and I really feel like I'm, I sound like I'm getting paid. Please know I'm not. I have, I have paid them for all of these games. Uh, uh, pinball and VR is really great, especially the one oh, yeah. red table is pretty. It's a treat. I have not yet tried that. I definitely am going to. Um, yeah, I'm sure that was very cool. You talk about like widescreen approach or whatever to how they integrate the rest of the experience with, and it's probably fairly obvious what might happen but the walking dead table is it's great <laughs> it's really cool <laughs> am i gonna poop my pants is that what you're saying no it's not yeah. and then you turn around and your mom's there and you're not wearing clothes and your homework's due <laughs> uh what other uh, vr games have you played recently mel well actually it, we were playing uh fishing masters the other day uh, which is i think it came out last week on psvr um I took my daughter's fishing quite a bit this summer, and we were very unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we were just kind of browsing, browsing the store, and uh, my daughter Scarlett's like, oh, is that fishing? And I said, yeah, it's in VR. Sure, let's give it a shot. And I know you're not supposed to let your kids play VR, but my kids play VR all the time. And um, so, and yeah, we, we... eight we, arms and 14 eyes, but otherwise they're fine. <laughs> they're growing all sorts of weird body parts now, yeah. Uh, so, so we loaded it up in... It, it was it was a good time. Uh, I don't know, like you're in these different locations. You're under the Golden Gate Bridge, which I've spent a lot of time, you know, in in 
in that area. So it looked very much like the Golden Gate Bridge, and I felt like I was fishing out in the harbor there. Um, and we went to the Amazon, and we went up to the Arctic, and the northern lights were there. And they were just like, whoa, what are these lights? You know, and it was almost like the environment was more grandiose than the fishing experience. Some might say that's um, true about actual fishing also. Yeah, I think it's authentic to the uh, experience, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know how exciting, you know, fishing would be, but the gameplay itself is, uh, I, I, you know, I think that they could have gone in different directions. They're only using one motion controller. It would have been, it would have made more sense to use two. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can catch fish, and uh, when you pull the fish in, uh, my kids kind of freaked out. You know, with objects coming into proximity close to their face, it, it's a little much for them, so they, they tend to freak out and rip the um, the HMD <laughs> off their head and, and the, I like to uh, to take you know screenshots of that, and we, we film those moments. It's pretty fun. Okay, so now I have to bring this up because I have said uh, over before, and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, that the, <laughs> I have yet to find any fishing mini game in any game that is fun that I find worthwhile. There are many games, role playing games, a lot of Japanese style role playing games in particular. Uh, have a fishing mini game in them. I mean, World of Warcraft has fishing. Battle Chasers Night War was a recent one that made me think of this. But there are tons of them. I mean, Stardew Valley. There's every Zelda. On on, every every Zelda, Zelda, right. I have yet to see any fishing video game or mini game <laughs> that I felt was even remotely fun. But also, I'm not, you know, I'm not actually a fisherman, so take that with a grain of salt. But I'm glad to. He- I think that maybe VR might be the thing that could turn could turn me on this uh, on this point because uh, I just I just have not been able to find any fun. It's just inherently a not a thrilling exercise, and the whole point of fishing is right to be outside in nature. And maybe maybe that's what VR will give you is the feeling of looking at cool stuff. Yeah, you're definitely in nature here. It was slow-paced, but I could see you out on a party boat doing, like, you know, tournament fishing, and it's, like, fast-paced action. That might be a way to ratchet it up a bit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, in, you know, the uh, the Stardew Valley fishing, I can't tell you how long we spent on that trying to catch a fish, and we just, it's like, right. we got lucky with it. You know, it was so difficult. I've, nobody has cracked that nut for me of, like, making <laughs> a fishing minigame that is not mind-numbingly boring but what if you have two pistols right and you're on this foreign like ring-shaped planet it's like you call it like a halo okay mm-hmm. and the way you have to catch fish is defeat this wave of it's a flood there's a flood right that's what you're fishing in yeah um you're yeah. talking about destiny <laughs> <laughs> your destiny is to catch a fish do, do you guys remember the the dreamcast literally had oh, yeah. a fishing controller that like it was like the bottom half hilt of a of a fishing rod controller that had like a a thing you twisted. Yeah, it was the only one that did it right. It was they had the arcade that had it similar, and then they came out with like a plastic shell for one of the Wii games. But that thing was horrible. But whatever, I forget the name of that game. But that was awesome. It, it worked really well. Uh, I disagree, but it was still it was ridiculous. But it was funny that they were like people are going to want to fish so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right, well, let's move on uh, to the end of the show. We do have our parting gift coming up, so definitely stick around for that. But Mel Kirk, thank you so much for being here, sir. I appreciate it, especially on a Sunday evening, giving up your Sunday evening to be with us. I, I really appreciate it. 
yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Tell people where they can keep up with Zen Studios and all the stuff you guys are doing. Sure. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Zen underscore Studios. Uh, also on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, ZenStudios.com. You'll find our what we call the Zen blog. And just keep all of our information fresh there and anything that's new happening with our games in, in the studio. So check us out there. Very cool. You were such a you guys were such a good sport for uh, for contacting us and and uh, putting up with my stupid comments. So I appreciate it very much. It's awesome. Hey man, it, it's it's all good. It was actually a lot of fun to listen to that. Great, Christian. How about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, uh this week I don't know. Oh, it was my daughter's fifth birthday? We talked about that. Um, I talked about it. You conveniently ignored it. You talk first in this show, dude. Um, and you talk second. So I don't see the point. <laughs> uh, I have an, a new show to announce. It's not uh, this week, but November 20th, if you are in Los Angeles. I'm putting up a brand new show at UCB Sunset, the Bright Citizens Brigade Theater on Sunset. And it's called The Great Debate. It's a Thanksgiving special. And it's going to be like, you know, not quite WWE level entrances, but picture like hype. Like we're hyping it up. People are coming in. And it's going to be debating silly Thanksgiving topics like stovetop at your house at 6 p.m. versus stovetop at your friend's house at 7.30 p.m. Mm. Uh, and all the topics are going to be blind. So they'll be pulled out of a hat. None of the comedians will know what they are in advance. So it's like improvised, blind, you know, not prepared debate, but serious. you got to, you got to try to win this thing. And meanwhile, we have, much like sports shows do oftentimes, we have the fastest fact checker in the West up in the tech booth real-time fact-checking everything they're saying so they can weigh in afterward about all the crap people are saying so far mike drucker who a friend of the show yeah love him been everywhere in gaming is going to be on as uh well as michael monsoor uh it's it's going to be i'm still putting the pieces together getting everybody on board to book it because i just got the date uh recently but it is november 20th at 10 30 p.m at ucb sunset come and check it out Oh, and also, I put up a mishmash. I, I cut together my own Last of Us 2 trailer, <laughs> which you can find on my YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713 I took footage from the most recent one and the first one combined with the fan theory that the woman in the second one is Ellie's mom. And I, grew, I, I did a little Joel VO as myself. I think like three lines I said of doing my best Joel impression and put up my own little Last of Us 2 fan trailer. You can check that out. Wow. You're such a fanboy for that series, man. I love it. I, it's it's, awesome. uh, it's so good. Imagine if that the first one came out right after you had your first kid, and you're playing it like with yeah. her in your arm. I'm like, I love being a dad. I'm like, why are you doing this to me? Naughty dog. <laughs> uh, right place, right time. Uh, I have several other shows for you to check out, including a daily video game show that keeps you up to date. Uh, it's short, quick, 10 minutes a day. It's called Newest, Latest, Best find it on google play or itunes or anywhere you get podcasts or you can also visit anchor.fm slash nlb to listen to it there uh, i do the slash filmcast at slash filmcast.com and i also do we have concerns which is a comedy science show you can find that at we have concerns.com as well and now i'm doing heroes of the storm I'm learning how to get better at Heroes of the Storm. I have gotten myself a coach, Kyle Ferguson of Into the Nexus fame. A professional Heroes of the Storm coach is coaching me up every Wednesday at noon Pacific time. I call it Hot's Lunch, and it's uh, it's live only, so you have to be there at noon Pacific time to watch. 
But man, we have a good time, and I'm actually getting better. It's really cool. You can check that out at caffeine.tv slash Jeff Kanata on Wednesdays at noon Pacific time. All right, guys. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Mel, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, I'm actually going to give you two. One's a quick one. Thor Ragnarok. you got to go see it. So okay? Good. No question. Go see it. And then uh, number two is uh, Orphan Black, which is a crazy sci-fi clone drama. Um, I think you can get it on Amazon Prime, seasons one through four right now. There's a fifth season. It's done by BBC Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tatiana Mosley is thinking amazing. She... Uh, she is like five different characters all in one setting. Um, you got to check it out. It's realis- realistic cloning for today. You-, you could totally see this happening in real life. I have been told by so many people to watch Orphan Black, and I still haven't done so. Maybe this will be the one that puts me over the top. I, I just haven't watched that show, and everybody talks about how awesome it is. Yeah. Christian, yeah, it's cool. how about you? You got a parting gift? Yes, I do, and I talk about it every year, and I'll probably talk about it a few times this year. It kind of don't, you don't have to go to the St. Jude thing I've set up to do that, but I, it's you know Thanksgiving is coming, and it is a hard time of year for a lot of people, and I would argue that anyone listening to this podcast, we're, we're doing all right. Things might not be great, but we're doing all right, and it's a great time to make that end of the year charitable donation. Now, uh, find a food bank, get involved. You don't have to give money go help give out food to people that might need it or a clothing drive or a warm blanket drive and if you do give money it's tax deductible so if you're looking for something to do before the end of the year now is a great time to start thinking about that and finding a charity that you want to support that you know aligns with your values and makes good use of your money go out and do that i can i I like saint jude's i donate to them all the time i like one american appeal for hurricane relief set up by former presidents Um, but find your own do your own research but give back to the communities it's a it's a hard time of year for a lot of people i think you bring this up at a great time because i think this last weekend was just the uh extra life extra life weekend right yeah a bunch of people uh, gamed for 24 hours it's so cool i love seeing that um i wanted to oh well, let's uh let's go to our listener parting gift this comes from casey he says i recently discovered a cool podcast that I thought would make a great parting gift. It's called 20,000 Hertz. And it's created by DeFacto Sound, which have done audio work on many big video games like Fallout 4 and Wolfenstein The New Order. Anyway, each episode is all about the story and history behind famous, iconic, and important sounds. The voices of Siri, the MBC chimes, the Wilhelm scream, what sound is like on other planets, how the original 8-bit Mario theme was made, sounds that have gone extinct, and so on. Each episode is only around 15 minutes and has great sound design in the episodes themselves, making it a very enjoyable listen. I highly recommend it. Thanks for all you guys do. Thank you, Casey. It's great. 20,000 Hertz is the name of the podcast. You listen, Christian? Yeah, it's great. They highlight it on a few other shows that I listened to, and then I I dove into the actual podcast, and it's, it's really well done. Awesome. If you want to send in your parting gift to be read on the show... Send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments or questions for us there as well. Uh, My parting gift is a film called Last Flag Flying. This is the new Richard Linkletter movie. Uh, It comes out 
uh, I think it came out on Friday. Either that or it's coming out. Anyway, limited release. Um, Steve Carell. Um, uh, gosh, amazing cast. Uh, who else is in it? My brain, brain isn't working. I should have had it out in front of me. I am DB. Um, oh, it's um, Breaking Bad. What's his name? Walter White. Yeah, what's his name? Cranston, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston, yes. Brian Cranston is in it, uh, and uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, amazing cast. It's all about, it takes place in the early 90s. It's all about um, guys who are veterans of the Vietnam War. Uh, one of them, their son is killed in the Iraq War, and they reunite after having not seen each other since their days in Vietnam to bury the son. It's incredibly well acted incredibly beautiful uh exquisite and really has a lot of resonance today with the wars that we're still in and the way people handle some of that stuff it's an amazing movie i highly highly recommend it uh it's funny very funny but also really touching and moving and it makes you think it's called last flag flying all right guys that's going to do it for this episode of dlc thanks again to Mel Kirk and Christian Spicer for being here with me. Thanks to the people that usually would hang out in our chat room, but but you know what? Didn't do it live this week uh, because we had to record a little bit early because of my schedule. Um, but we'll be back next week on Mondays as usual. See you then. Also, thanks to all the folks that download the show. You guys are our life's blood. We appreciate you. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.